the Roxy 78 performance is considered one of Bruce's best. And if you listen to Growing Up, uh, there is a point in the song in which he's telling the story, which I've heard many times, but he tells the story there and says, you know, my mother and father are in the audience and my mother wanted me to be an author. My dad wanted to be a lawyer. And what they didn't understand is that I wanted it all. He says that there's a moment of silence and then you hear, and you got it. And that's me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is Michelle Sandoval. She is from the Northwest, as far Northwest as you can go and not go into Canada. We just talked about that. Works in real estate and is also my fourth um, mayor to join me. So I, you know, soon it's going to be political talk with Jesse Jackson. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I'm going to write off. How are you guys, you know, you, you shared that you were in, you know, you were mayor of your town. Talk to me in the past 18 months how has it been with COVID and and everything and all that the responsibility of trying to balance you know personal freedom and people feel safe talk to me a little bit about that it's been um it's been difficult um it's I would also say that I feel that I'm very lucky to live in the town that I live in, um, as well as to live in Washington state, where there's very clear direction about the need to be vaccinated. And our county um, was the first, and um, uh, I would say, I'm sure it's controversial, um, but nevertheless, the first county to uh, mandate um, proof of vaccination cards if you wanted to go into restaurants. Um, and of course, the theater, our beautiful old vaudeville theater, the Rose Theater, the Rosebud, and the Starlight are three different theaters that we have here, movie theaters, and you have to show your vaccination card. So while um, the beginning of the pandemic was completely unnerving and a lot of meetings for emergency management and trying to figure out um, space. I mean, we just didn't know what was going to happen to our small town. We're a town of 10,000 and a county of uh, 30,000. And we're the only city with amenities uh, like the hospital, etc. cetera. Um, Port Townsend that I'm mayor of is the only city in this county. And so there was a lot of emergency management meetings and, you know, plans for um, the worst. 
And luckily we didn't have the worst. Um, in fact, it wasn't until the second wave that we had a death. And now we've had uh, about uh, a dozen deaths, but we're a small town. The next county over has had uh, closer to 100 deaths. Mm. Uh, our county is over 70%. I think it's closer to 75 now that they're vaccinating younger people um, vaccinated. So we have a population um, that is very community-minded and really wants to put an end to the pandemic uh, by masking and by getting vaccinated. I believe that's fairly unusual for a very rural town like we are. Um, but nevertheless, we are, um, we're, we're very lucky that way. Well, I, I think that is great. I, I've shared this on the podcast a few, um, about um, four or five weeks ago, uh, my wife and I went down to New Orleans um, for a little mini vacation. And we were so impressed. Every restaurant, every museum, every venue stopped us and said, show us your proof of vaccination. You had to show it. And I, it wasn't a matter of, you know, this, Michelle, like, oh, you know, just you send it to it and then immediately, I mean, they looked at it. They looked at the date they wanted to. And, and my wife, um, cause we're in Texas and where, um, our governor has no F's left on max, you know, on vaccinations and mandates and I'm very disappointed. Um, so, you know, my wife was complimenting, like, you know, this makes me feel good. I, like when we got in a taxi, you know, the taxi would very carefully, can you put on your mask? You know, cause you had taken it off cause you're outside. Oh yeah, sure, sure. And, um, and the, more than one person said, we cannot afford to be shut down again. Right. That we, this city will go bankrupt if we do not have tourists again. And so right. we cannot have a wave. And so we are taking this very seriously. Um, so it's, it's, it's also very difficult to have full um, throated democracy during this time. And I think that that's what's hurt us the most is that we're a very community minded um, city and that we're a very passionate and opinionated city. Yes. Um, and when you need public process to make decisions as a council, as a mayor, um, you know, we usually have a lot of people showing up to meetings about whatever we're gonna decide on. And we're all on Zoom. And yeah. it makes it very difficult um, for all of that public process to go on. So it's been it's been really frustrating. It's been difficult for the for the community as a whole, but it's also been exhausting um, for the city staff um, to try to put on all these Zoom meetings and and you know um, it, it's just it's it's been a run uh, for the last two years. Yeah. Well, I appreciate and, and I'm glad you guys are doing the best you can and good for you. Um, you know, I, I end and you will hear this, you know, I end every podcast with um, go get vaccinated, wear your mask, wash your hands, remember to social distance and let's all be good to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. And, and I truly believe that that is not just words for me. I got my booster last week. Um, we are, 
you know, we, um, it, and, you know, my, my boss asked me, he says, you know, what do you think about making it mandatory? And I said, you know, I, I think you'd have problems with the team, but I personally, yes, yes, get it vaccinated. We, you know, we, we have, uh, I forgot the amount of hours we lost exactly hours of COVID over the summer, but it was enough to seven full-time people. And, you know, our staff at the highest was like 80, 85 people on the, we we do roadside assistance. So, you know, that's almost 10% of your staff that you've lost due to COVID. So yeah, it's crazy. I, I know a lot of people are tired of hearing about it. They just want to move on. But the reality is we're not out of this yet. And the only way we're going to do this is for people to be smart about it, to listen to science. And, you know, it is very easy. And we could spend a whole hour just talking about this this crazy politics and, and how everyone seems to have lost their mind on both extremes, right? Um, but the reality is there's got to be a way to, to find middle ground and to do the right thing, you know, and, and vaccinations are, are not, they aren't red, they aren't blue, they are just, it's, it's a medical fact. So like measles and smallpox and, you know, everything else. So good for you, Michelle, we're going to get off this serious subject. And uh, I'm going to start out with- I Get to love, the real serious subject. Yes, right, yeah. yeah. I said, okay, enough of this. Let's talk about something important. Uh, talk to me about growing up. Tell me uh, what kind of music did your family listen to when you were growing up? Um, so my family um, is, um, my parents are born in Mexico, so I uh, obviously, uh, seven kids in our family, I'm the youngest, um, my oldest sister is uh, 20 years older than me, so a whole different generation really, um, my oldest um, sister was married um, or at least very close to it by the time I was born. Yeah, she was married because my niece is the same age. So my mother and my sister were pregnant at the same time, which is pretty wild. And uh, my oldest brother was in college. So um, the interesting thing was, is that I listened to a lot of Mexican music. So a lot of, um, of, you know, the mariachi music, but also we listened to classics in terms of the crooners. You know, Johnny Mathis was my first album, the Christmas uh, album of Johnny Mathis with him standing in the snow with like, I think he had a red sweater on. Um, So Sinatra, all of that stuff my parents loved. And, um, but because I had older brothers and sisters and even the one that's closest in age to me is nine years older. So, um, you know, they were the ones that always turned me on to rock and roll, um, the Beatles um, and um, everything that was sort of hip when I was a, a little kid, they were already experiencing. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I always think it's very interesting when you siblings come up a lot in this podcast and you know whether you're the oldest the middle or the youngest you know like often if you're the youngest um you either embrace your older siblings music or you rebel right you find like oh no i'm gonna go find grunge or i'm gonna go with punk or no i'm gonna end up loving classical music even though they love classic rock so sounds like you kind of found a middle ground though where you really enjoyed the music that your older siblings were doing yeah i mean i i kind of love all music um i can see uh, just depending upon the mood, I will still listen to Mexican music. I mean, yeah. I have an album that my oldest brother um, sent me for Christmas, like, you know, four years ago. That is Edie Gourmet. I don't know if you remember Edie Gourmet. Sure. And um, it's just classic Mexican, you know, Sabor a Mi and... Um, just just great old uh, Mexican classics that Linda Ronstead actually took up many of them when she did her mariachi album. And and yet, um, uh, so I love that. I, I love classical music. I love Philip Glass, which is kind of bizarre classical music. I, you know, there's no, I think there's a place for everything. I used to say that the only kind of music that I didn't like was country. Um, But, you know, even that is not true because I have always been a fan um, of Roseanne Cash. Um, Her mother, uh, 
Johnny Cash's first wife right. uh, was a client in my uh, customer in my restaurants. Oh, um, nice. In, in Ventura, California. I had no idea who she was. It's yeah. just that she used to come into my restaurant and she worked at an, a store called Scott's Apparel. And so I was pretty young when I owned my restaurant with my husband and started it at 23. We were kind of crazy. And it was a beautiful restaurant, a very good restaurant that was written up in the LA Times several times. And But I'd go in trying to look older because people don't really trust a 23 year old to run a business. And I would go into Scott's Apparel and buy some nice clothes. So I, I could be a good hostess at the restaurant and uh, Vivian waited on me all the time. And so I got to know her and she would come to my restaurant and I had no idea who she was until one of my um, waitresses who grew up in Ojai. So Johnny Cash and Vivian, lived in um, Oakview and in Ojai, she said, you know, that's Johnny Cash's ex-wife. And um, I was like, really? Oh, I didn't know that. And then she brought in Roseanne one day and I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe Roseanne Cash is in my restaurant. So um, as soon as, you know, so I really like Roseanne, but she really didn't play country. Um, she was a pop star um, when she you know, was young and she's, I don't even know what to call her now. I, I love her and I listen to her constantly, but um, her, my love of her got me into Rodney Crowell. And of course, um, you, you know, Johnny uh, Cash and then June Carter. And then of course, uh, just um, from there, I went into country. And so even country, I, I love. So I think all musics are appropriate, depending upon what emotion you're feeling. Um, and so uh, I, I love all kinds of music. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I really loved um, hearing Roseanne Cash was in the Ken Burns documentary about country music and she was really good. And I've listened to several podcasters where she's interviewed and she just seems just, just this wonderful person. And I agree. I love her music. Um, so talk about when did you just first discover Bruce? And if you can, Michelle, tell me what about his music spoke to you? Why, why did Bruce was something special? So um, it was either when I was a junior or senior in high school. And I, in high school, um, well, actually it was before high school, it was probably seventh or eighth grade. I started to become obsessed with Joni Mitchell. And so Joni um, was really my first obsession, though my first love of kind of rock and roll and blues and sort of a very different vibe was Leon Russell and Leon Russell was my first concert ever that I went to when I was probably 13 at the fabulous forum in LA if people know the forum and um but once I you know discovered Bob Dylan and saw him when I was very young I started going to concerts at 13 and 14 and most of the time I was lying to my parents about where I was going um but Nevertheless, uh, fell in love with Dylan. Um, my best friend across the street from me, and you need to know that I was a very restricted in terms of what I could do, what I could say, how I could dress, because I was a good Catholic girl who went to Catholic school my whole life. 
Mexican Catholic to boot, so very, very conservative. But um, my best friend across the street was none of that. And so she was pretty wild. And she was the oldest of five sisters. And they were all, I, I mean, I loved them. They were my family, but they were all pretty wild. And they were not conservative in terms of their upbringing and so we used to hang out and we listened to dylan a lot so we really got into dylan is like you know the end of eighth grade into high school and um my best friend uh krista comer um was in love with a guy that was very dylan-esque and a poet and very um bohemian and um was very into dylan so everything was about dylan Joni mitchell dylan the poets and then one day i went they moved out of my neighborhood and i remember very clearly that i went to go visit them and i rarely did in this new house because they were in a few towns over so it was half an hour for me and i went to go visit uh krista and her boyfriend, Tom uh, Bowles, was in the room and, you know, you had those little um, vinyl, you know, the record players that had the two speakers that went out that you could have in your room. And I can remember them putting on um, Bruce and Chris has said, this is going to blow your mind. And we listened to um, Bruce um, and you know, we were like all a buzz that he was definitely the new Dylan and it was all, um, you know, very cool. And so we became um, kind of obsessed with him. Um, I tried to go see him the first time uh, when he was playing at, believe it or not, Santa Monica Civic, which was the favorite place to go because Santa Monica Civic was a very small auditorium. And it wasn't in LA. We lived in um, Oxnard, which was, you know, an hour and a half from LA. So Santa Monica was that much closer. It was a small venue. And um, I had tickets to go see Bruce as an opener for Dr. John and could not get out of the house because all of this was completely undercover. I could never go to concerts. This was not, you know, something that I did. So it was always an adventure. Um, and luckily my parents are dead now and I can say I just lied to them. I'm going to spend the night with somebody. And so uh, the first time that I saw um, Bruce was in uh, 1975. And I was uh, 16 or 17, and he played at UCSB, so uh, University of uh, Santa Barbara, um, Robinson's Gym. And we got there early. I was with friends, uh, waited out in line, got great seats, were probably first row, second row. Very excited. Um, and he came out. And the band came out and they were so great. And what was so wild and what I sort of miss about Bruce today, even though I love Bruce and you know see him every chance I can, is that the band was all dressed like in suits and hats, vests, three-piece suits. You know, Clarence was in a full-on suit with a hat and they all looked like 
gangsters actually <laughs> but just you know just amazing um outfits and then bruce was kind of like a rug rat i mean he was not in the suits he was he came out and looked extremely scruffy very sexy but extremely scruffy and the rest of the band looked you know completely different but they you know, Bruce was skinny and scruffy and young and during Blinded um, by the Light, he jumped into the crowd and he was like right in front of me. You know, I mean, the whole audience gasped. I mean, yeah. didn't yeah. do that. Rock and roll stars didn't go off the stage. I mean, he was walking amongst us, you know, and um, and it was just incredible. It was exhilarating. And it's funny because I convinced one of my friends, not a boyfriend, um, but a, a male friend, uh, you know, another 16 year old or however old, we were 16 or 17, um, John Ortiz uh, to go with me. And every once in a while, John will call me. Um, I remember I was in New York, visiting New York City, which I loved. I lived in New York City for a while. He called me one day and I was in the hotel room um, just on a vacation. And he said, is, I said, hello. And he said, is this the woman that introduced me to Bruce Springsteen? I'm driving down Santa Monica. I'm driving down Pacific Coast Highway 101. And a Bruce song came in, came on. And I thought, I've got to call that woman that introduced me to Bruce. So, you know, we still just revel in that history that we saw him such a long time ago and that it was electrifying. And I left that concert and I immediately went to one of my brothers who I'm closest emotionally to. He's not closest in age to me, but knocked on his door at, you know, one o'clock in the morning or something and felt like I was channeling, you know, John Lando. I just saw the future of rock and roll. And its name is Bruce Springsteen. I mean, it was just, I was just yelling and screaming and um, became a true believer then. Um, but what I would say is that I became a true believer and, you know, crazy, crazy woman that I was, young girl that I was then, uh, me and my best friend. Uh, went to New York City, uh, we did all of the haunts, you know, went to the bottom line, went to as then took a bus to Asbury Park and the Stone Pony. And, you know, we did all of the haunts for Dylan and Bruce, um, did all of that. And because we were just crazy. Um, and when I got off the plane and I was by myself, um, these young women or they weren't, I mean, I was 17 these these women said you can't possibly be here by yourself who's picking you up from the airport i said oh i'm meeting my friend you know and they took me to the hotel that my friend was staying at and um but it was like five o'clock in the morning so i just walked around new york and they were like you're crazy don't do that it's dangerous you know it was the 70s but you know in my head i was pumping out it's so hard to be the saint in the city. And, you know, it was yeah, just yeah. all of the lyrics just always were with me. And um, so, you know, that was the, that was the hook. That was when I first started with um, 
the Bruce uh, obsession. And, and then in 78, um, I was out of my second year of college, came back home. I'd seen Bruce again in, um, I think it was Oakland. I went to school in Northern California. I saw him in Oakland. And this was the darkness tour then, because it was the, um, must have been the Born to Run tour, just had been released when I saw him in 75. And so um, I saw him in Oakland and went home for the summer. And he played at the forum one night and saw him with a friend. And then on the way home from the forum, they announced that he would be playing at the Roxy, which was a small West Hollywood club um, and that the tickets would go on sale the next day. And I was working as a waitress in the summer. Um, and I played hooky and went to the Roxy and waited in line all day long, trying to get a ticket along with hundreds of other people. It's a small little club. And, um, once again, I, at this point, I must have been 20. Yeah. And um, the tickets were bought by Columbia, by Columbia Records. And people were pissed because we had waited in line all day. And then there was no tickets. And so everybody gathered together and half of the people went to Columbia to protest and the other half went to KMET, which was the local rock and roll station. I went to Columbia. We got nothing. The people that went to KMET got tickets. Oh, okay. And so, um, I went back, um, for the show's performance and stood outside, um, all day long. And, heard from the outside the you know the sound check uh tom waits was out uh in the alleyway between um the roxy and the um oh my god i just forgot the name the bar the holy shit just forgot the name uh on the other side of the alley there was the i want to say the sunshine room but it's not it's anyway so the bar there was a bar and then the alleyway and then the roxy and um tom waits was out there and i mean you know just i hung out to listen to the to the music uh coming out of the sound check and hoping to see the band and hoping to get a ticket waited all day talked to some people that knew bruce from um new jersey uh sharon and marty and they had tickets and um, I was beside myself, you know, couldn't get in, couldn't get tickets, even though I'd waited all day. And so at a point, um, a gentleman comes up who's works with the band and hands Marty and Sharon these tickets. And he looks at me and I'm like, do you have a ticket for me? And, and he said, no. And Marty and Sharon went in, gave me a hug and I started crying. And this guy's like, oh my God, don't start crying. And, um, you know, and he says, go watch a movie or something. You know, you're in Hollywood. You can wait for your friends to get out. And I said, I am standing in front of the Roxy. I'm not going to go see a movie. I got to see Bruce Springsteen. And um, the concert started. You saw all these stars getting in um, who had gotten tickets from Columbia. 
and it was packed and I was sort of along the sidelines and the gentleman who rescued me, who worked for the man was, um, I believe his name was Mark. Okay. His last name was Rappaport and I never forgot it because all these people were saying, give us a ticket, give us a ticket. And he said to me, whispering, I'll be right back with a ticket for you. And so when he came towards me and everybody was yelling and he said, you know, come over here. And I thought, he says, like, back off, people. I don't have any tickets. I didn't go anywhere because I believed him. And then he said, not you, you come. And he gave me a ticket, said Merry Christmas. And I got inside. And a couple of songs had played. And when I went in, it's a cabaret style set up with tables. Okay. And I, I couldn't believe it. There was a front row seat at a table said is this seat taken no sat down and and then I remember a waitress came up to me and said would you like something to drink and I thought holy shit I'm in the front row at the Roxy and they're asking me if I want alcohol and it was one of the best nights of my entire life and so the Roxy 78 performance is considered one of Bruce's best right Um, and if you listen to growing up Uh, There is a point in the song in which he's telling the story, which I've heard many times, but he tells the story there and says, you know, my mother and father in the audience and my mother wanted me to be an author. My dad wanted to be a lawyer. And what they didn't understand is that I wanted it all. He says that. There's a moment of silence, and then you hear, and you got it, and that's me. So on that record, first it was a bootleg tape that my brother taped that from KMET Broadcasting, that Roxy, but I heard my voice, and, um, and that's me. And, and it's funny, because I read an article about two years ago, right before COVID, in which some guy said, some you know philosophy about Bruce and then they said and this person can shout out and you got it and you know she was right blah 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 and I thought oh my god that's me and when my son I have a son who just turned 30 when he was a young child one day I played him and I said I'm gonna play this album and you're gonna hear your mom's voice so um so in any case, on the bootleg tape, you hear my voice many times shouting out a request for 10th Avenue. And, um, but, but that's the one that lives on the um, 75 album and, and that live show. So Michelle, I, first off, great stories. I, I'm thinking I've had some wonderful stories on this podcast, but this is easy. This hits the top 10. I love that story so much. The other thing I was thinking of when your friend called, you know, from the Pacific Coast Highway, right? The ties that bind, right? That, that because you're the one, anytime I hear Bruce Springsteen, you know, he thinks of you and your friendship and a little bit Bobby Jean, a little bit of Tommy, you know, uh, ties that bind that that's an absolutely wonderful story. Um, I just had a guy, I've had a couple of people on the podcast that, you know, I always preface this question with, 
the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. I think it depends on your age, economic situation, where you live, you know, just there's a lot of things to go into it. And someone said, and also, Jesse, I think it's important the experience is sometimes more important than the amount, right? The, 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 the idea of what you've seen. So you've absolutely got a great experience with a great story behind it. But um, Michelle, do you count? Uh, the I have not you've seen counted. Them? I have not counted. I saw, well, just in that tour, yeah. um, you know, the, the best part was that my friends Martin and Marty and uh, Sharon called me the day after that whole experience at the Roxy and said, we're going to San Diego arena tomorrow night. And so I said, okay. So I saw him at the, in Oakland, then I saw him at the forum, then I saw him at the Roxy. And then I went down to the San Diego um, uh, arena and drove like a bat out of hell after um, working all day as a waitress and went down there and they had tickets for me and um, not only tickets, but a backstage pass. So I'll stop there for one second and just say, so that was what four times on that tour when he really became big and he would play five nights at the um, uh, sports arena or at the Coliseum or whatever, then I'd buy out you know, I buy tickets for every night and understand I never had a lot of money, but when I got married and I got married pretty young, I got married at 20, um, just turned 22 by a month. And, uh, I've been married for 40 years. Um, I told my husband, you know, I don't spend a lot of money on frivolous stuff, makeup or a lot of clothes or whatever, but I spend money on Bruce Springsteen and don't ever try to stop me because that's the end. He comes to town, I'm emptying the bank account to see him. And so, you know, at first, particularly like in the, um, I would say the early eighties, when I first got together with my husband, when we first married, I would buy one night for us. And then I would buy two tickets to every performance afterwards. So he'd play five nights and then I just go with a variety of friends. And after the first time that that happened, my husband said, never again, I'm going every night with you because he became such a fan. But I never really counted. But when I was in a really metropolitan area, I would go to every show for, you know, every tour. And then I moved out here in the boonies to Port Townsend, Washington. And he plays Portland one night, he plays Seattle one night. So I see him in Portland, I see him in Seattle, I see him in um, Vancouver, Canada. Um, But, you know, he doesn't play the runs that he has. But I've gone to New York City to see him. I saw him for the... um, uh, I just saw a video with REM that Rock the Vote tour yes. in Philadelphia. So I, I went to go see him at the Rock the Vote. I, I've seen him in New York City a couple of times. I saw him four times. I hate to admit that I was that greedy, but four times on um, Broadway. Good for and, you. You know, well, you know, Roseanne Cash said when she uh, was on Instagram or whatever, whatever social media, Um, and I'm a big fan of hers. She said, my joy um, is seeing 
um, you know, reading or seeing certain people, it's art. And I had the opportunity to see Bruce. I've seen Bruce three times on Broadway and that's my joy. And I went, okay, yeah, that's a good reason. And um, the last time I saw him was just this last September when he came back. I saw him on my birthday, September 2nd. And that was my fourth time. I went alone um, this time. My husband had a stroke recently and he's um, it's difficult to travel. Um, but um, it has been a hard couple of years since he's had the stroke. I can imagine. Um, since COVID, but I decided I'd go and see Bruce again. So I've never kept track, but every tour I've seen him, I've seen him in many states. I've never seen him in Europe. So I'm in Canada. So my goal is in 2022, if he tours, you know, I tell Marty, my husband, we're going to see fucking Bruce Springsteen in Europe. We are going to see him in Italy and we are going to see him in Ireland because those, you know, live concerts that we hear are so full of love in those places um, that I really want to see him. So, so if right I, there may, with you. I want to get back yeah, to the San sure. Diego arena, so yeah. the backstage pass. So I was a very young 20 year old and um, got backstage and um, really didn't realize how lucky I was until many years later that got backstage, I got an opportunity to meet Bruce. I met the band and it was when backstage was really backstage. There was nobody there, though there was uh, Cameron Crowe um, and there was, um, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the woman. It was not Scarlett Rivera, who was the violinist uh, for the Rolling Thunder Review, but it was someone from Rolling Thunder Review who was right in front of me at Will Call, picking up the tickets. And um, I had an opportunity while Cameron Crowe was laying on a bench in front of me and I was drinking a Heineken for us all to sing, um, Poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king, and the king ain't satisfied until he rules everything. And, you know, I saw Bruce being interviewed behind a glass, and it looked more like an interrogation. I thought, boy, this isn't any way to enjoy your evening after a show. There were like five reporters in a row. He was sitting on the other end of the table. And it was something. It was something to get backstage. It was something to meet all the all the band members. And um, I'll never forget it. I got backstage passes for the next tour. And it was at the, uh, somewhere in LA. So it was either the Forum or the Coliseum. And there must have been, I don't know, 5,000 people backstage or 2,000 people. It wasn't backstage. It was just a lot of people got tickets and there was a big spread with, you know, booze and food. And I, a friend gave me backstage and I walked in. I said, no, 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 we're leaving. This isn't it. You know, after I had a backstage pass with just the band and like five other people, I didn't want that other thing. I wasn't there for the food and the drinks. Um, so that was the best thing um, that I've ever experienced in terms of Bruce. Um, that was a long time ago. 
I, 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 have. I love that story, Michelle. That's so great. Uh, by the way, if you want to, and I realize you are a very um, busy uh, public servant, but there is a website called um, the um, My Boss um, My Boss Time, and this guy um, Elko has actually built a database of every show Bruce has ever attended, and if you set up your a free account. And it's my boss time. Okay, you can, yeah, you can go to and like, oh, I did this show. I did this show because it lists every tour. And then what's great about it is behind the scenes, it will then tell you this is your most heard song. These are songs that were premieres for you. These are rarities. Like um, I, he happened to play The Wall from High Hopes at a, one of the shows I went to and like, According to Bruce, you know, this my boss time, he's only played it less than a dozen times. Yeah. You know? So there was a there was an app that was called Bruce Fanatic. Right. I've never deleted it, even though it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. It was the best because it had like this rolling thing that you could say, you know, 1975 Santa Monica Civic, and it would say where, you know. Yeah. when what date it was and the set list and it was so great and then it never yeah, yeah disappeared. this is similar you'll enjoy that okay did, yeah did you make any of the book signings i did not oh, and no. interestingly enough you know my my uh, son's girlfriend um uh her, so this is in seattle um i just i was never around at that time and um her um, roommate was one of the coordinators in Seattle, um, for the book signing and I was going to be out of town or whatever. And I was like, oh, it was killing me, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, when Marty and I went to Europe for our honeymoon, um, we, rented a car and at that time you actually had to buy them and then you sold them back and it was a little um uh citron um the cheapest one and um uh, i brought a bruce springsteen honk if you love bruce springsteen sticker a bumper sticker for the back and so that was in 1981 and my husband had to remind me as i was driving and flipping people off who were um <laughs> who were honking at me you have a bumper sticker that tells people to honk. What are you doing? I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, you know, but we were going so slow because we were in this little doshivo, it's called. Um, but um, I feel like, you know, we were there before anybody else. And I, it's a terrible thing to say that because as a person that lives in a town in which how long have you lived here is a common question. It's kind of like, how long have you loved Bruce Springsteen? You know, when was your first tour? But um, but it's been a pretty exciting um, trajectory. And uh, Bruce has changed my life in so many ways because I believed in him when he was that scruffy little rug rat and his at UCSB. And, um, and I just knew that he was gonna be the biggest star in the world. I just knew it. Um, and 
I remember one day when I owned a restaurant in Southern in Ventura, California, and I was went to the store right before a Friday night, and I was all dressed up to be the hostess, and I had to go to the store for something. And I got back in the car and turned on the radio, and there was a Bruce song on, and the radio announcer said, Bruce Springsteen, you know, the number one rock and roll star in the world today, kind of just very simple said, said that and I remember I, I was in the car and I said I knew you could do it Bruce I always knew you could do it Bruce if only somebody believed in me like I believe in you wow and I thought to myself what a stupid statement Michelle believe in yourself and it was that reckoning it was that realization that I thought holy shit, what do we do? We really, you know, we admire and we hero worship all of these people and we need to put it into ourselves. And that day really changed um, at least the way that I thought about myself, that I love Bruce, um, but I also need to believe in myself. And it was just sort of this realization um, of how much energy all of us put into our our belief of of you know um, very worthy characters. I mean, Bruce is. I love Bruce because not only is his music wonderful and his lyrics moving, but I'm glad that he stands on the right side of history so many times, um, or it would break my heart, you know, um, as somebody that is a liberal and believes in um, truth and justice. Um, but I also understand that we need to take a lot of that energy and put it into ourselves. You know, a couple things about that that makes me think is one, we do a little bit of echo there. Okay. Um, we are often not, we are, we are not as forgiving to ourselves as we are of other people. You know, we will be, we will be so hard on ourselves, but we would never try to hold someone else to that standard trying to hold to ourselves. And I'm not saying we shouldn't hold ourselves to a high standard, but it's okay. Sometimes. Yeah. We messed up, you know, we screwed up. We were doing our best, you know, uh, goes back to the, you know, uh, you know, I did as well. I'm going to mess it up. Right. But I did as well as I could. And when I knew better, I did better. And, yeah. and I disagree with that. Um, the other thing I really, really love that idea is um, we do have a sense of he does feel like he's ours. And, you know, the I, you know, I talk about this all the time when people go, why are you a big Bruce Springsteen fan, Jesse? Why do you do a, a Springsteen podcast? And I go, well, you know, it's a cliche, but his music has been the soundtrack of my adult life. And he's been a good companion on this part of the ride, you know, to quote Land of Hope and Dreams. And um, I, I just, I, I love that. I also tend to be... Um, very um, liberal and very left-leaning. Um, I do think it's sad. And I don't remember who said this, but someone posted after the Super Bowl ad that 
if anything can tell you how to divided our country is and how far away from the middle is how the far right and the far left both crucified Bruce for his commercial when all he was trying to say is, you know, can we can we just try to find a middle ground? I have a really good friend who's a conservative. Um, I always like to say he's one of the good conservatives, you know, like, <laughs> like, the, like he believes in a smaller government. He believes in a lot of personal freedom. You know, he is. Um, and he says what bothers him is you want everyone to have health insurance. I want everyone to have a health insurance. And he doesn't mean him and I specifically, he, you know, in groups, we both want people to have health insurance. We just disagree how to get there. Why can't we find something that we're both happy with? Um, they want a safe border. They want a safe border. Can't we find a common ground to figure out how to do this? And um, I'm especially frustrated and I promise listeners we'll get off politics, but you know, living in Texas, uh, my congressman was just one of the four that former President Trump just praised. And, uh, you know, and, and as we're recording this, they just the Congress just Congress and Senate just uh, voted to raise the debt ceiling. And you look at every frickin conservative going once again democrats raising the root to pay for all their spending and i go you lying sobs <laughs> this is this is spending from uh, from the past three or four administrations this has nothing to do this is why do you not want our government to meet the obligations that we have well, and, most people don't pay attention, so they don't even know what it means. Right. They don't know it's past bills. Yeah. They just know that it's something to do with finance, and so they're yeah. against it. You know? And they get, so. yeah, they get, uh, as we said, um, you know, they get tired head. That's one of my sports stations I listen to. They say, you get tired head, right? Yes, oh, I just don't care anymore. Right. And, and it's very, it's, it's very disappointing. Um, I personally i agree with you i'm i'm i i don't know if i will get to europe but i would love to do that i'd love that experience um and luckily i've had a few people that have guessed it on the podcast like jesse you get here everything else is on us right like you and linda come and do so that's wonderful um talk to me are there are there favorite albums or songs that have meant something to you to meant something to you and your husband which by the way i love that you converted him and now then you guys are in this together and i i'm sending you know absolutely positive vibes for him and his health i just you know um you know wishing you both the best thank you um so many songs you know i mean gee whiz my son came into my house the other day because i have this serious xm you know the bruce station on and he's like is there ever a time when it's too much, mom, and you finally get sick of listening to Bruce all day? You know, and so I understand that people from the outside may think I'm obsessive, and I am, I guess. But, um, you know, I say, Bruce, you know, I say to my son, Dakota, I listen to a lot of music. You happen to come in when I'm listening to Bruce. I said, but usually it's in the morning and it gets me going. It makes me happy. Um, I listen to songs and I can listen to the damn stories 
400 times and I still laugh at them. And I laugh at the way that Bruce presents it. I can quote what he's going to say next, you know, about introducing the band. Do I have to say his name? You know, I mean, and it's just, it's joyous. You know, he's a shaman, um, especially as he's gotten older and older. It's church. And um, he's so Catholic. And I've seen him progress from, you know, sort of just this, um ah uh, lyrics and uh sort of sideway glances at catholicism to full-blown as he's gotten older at least in my opinion um it's it's curious to see him really getting into uh, catholicism and so all of his songs are meaningful to me um there are some very special ones because of course they're hooked to memories and they're memories in my own life um of course, um, um, having something like uh, singing the song with um, people backstage, um, that's, of course, very special to me. Um, uh, growing up, because I'm on um, that live album, it's actually a pressed vinyl, um, is very meaningful to me. Um, and... I will say that when my husband had a stroke and it was right before COVID and he was at in a hospital, he was flown to a hospital in, in Seattle and he was in um, intensive care for a month um, before he was in a facility for four more months and we couldn't see him because of COVID. But the first um, few weeks, we could see him in the hospital before it was you know considered too dangerous because of COVID. And he um, was all hooked up to all kinds of machines. And we didn't know if he would live. He had operation um, for the blood clot and such. And, and so we were told, of course, you play music. So we brought a little, um, a little uh, Sonos in and hooked it up to our iPhones. And whoever was with him during those first weeks would play music. Um, and so I played Bruce and um, and so the first time that he said anything to me, I had on, there goes my miracle and he was singing it. And uh, so it was very meaningful to me. Um, and so, you know, there's just so many things, so many, uh, Tougher than the rest is once my husband and I didn't think we were going to make it in our marriage um, and we were uh, separated. Um, that song was very meaningful to him, uh, tougher than the rest. So that's very meaningful to me. Um, but I've always thought that um, in our fight for democracy, um, it's going to be a long walk home. It's been very meaningful to me as an elected official. Um, so there's just so many. Um, you know, I've told my son what I want played at my funeral. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, uh, uh, so there's so many meaningful songs to me. And, uh, you know, Bruce is, uh, I'm thankful that he has, 
um, been able to be so much more eloquent than I ever could be in my life in terms of, uh, of, of moving me through the different phases in my life. Thank you for sharing that. I, and I, I, I can only imagine there goes my miracle is just something beautiful. And I, I wish the best for your husband and, uh, and I hope you guys do get to go to Europe. And that's great. Yeah, we're really, I mean, I keep trying to figure out how to make it happen, you know, because yeah. he's in a wheelchair. Um, and it's really tough getting around. Yeah. Um, and it, this world isn't made for people in wheelchairs. No, and it's, not. it's and it's and he, uh, you know, that's the it's a disability. But the, the worst thing is he can't speak. Oh, he has aphasia. Wow. And so he's a super intelligent guy, wrote many books and was the CFO of a company here. And, and so he's um, pretty frustrated. And so am I. But, you know, we. I know that, I mean, I'm determined and um, I'm hoping that COVID will allow us to see Bruce Springsteen next year, you know, um, so we'll see. But um, but I did remember that, you know, if I should fall behind, that's the one I want played at my funeral. It's such oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I always said I'd want Letter, Land of Hope and Dreams played because um, I said it, and one of my best friends who died early, he had a, he had an aneurysm, died unexpectedly. I said it at my father's funeral and I did make the joke that it, my dad would probably be unhappy that I'm quoting Bruce Springsteen instead of Johnny Cash or Merle Haggard. Um, and I always said that I hope that one day years from now, my son will say it at mine. Um, but, uh, I'll see you in my dreams is close that yeah, it's a close yeah, second. That's right. an awful, powerful song. Right. Um, you obviously have seen him a lot of times, but Michelle, is there still songs you're trace chasing? Is there something you haven't heard live, not counting Western stars or letter to you mm -hmm. uh, because none of us have heard those yet <laughs> yeah. uh, that you still would want to hear. You know, I have to say, it's the old stuff. Yeah. It's the stuff that's 17 minutes long. You know, yeah. it's the stuff off the first two albums. It's, um, you know, um, I, and I, I, I guess I'm old enough. I have to look at the names, but it's the, right. it's, it's, it's either, you know, just today I heard Backstreets and, you know, how many times I remember there's an article that said how many times that he actually says backstreets in the song. And yeah. I thought, you know, what amazing thing that he could say it so many times. And it's such a great song. And that's all he says. And then I remember another um, uh, critic saying Bruce has more power and has more a capacity for you know um feeling and and expression in his us and us than anybody else you know and so but the the early songs those really long songs like backstreet or incident 57th street or all of those that we rarely get to hear because they are so long and they usually have a lot of horns and they're, they're just a whole different experience. I would love to hear those again, frankly. And I love some pretty obscure songs that, you know, I think on one of the serious 
panels, which by the way, here's my big bitch about that. There are no women that do anything about Bruce. I mean, you know, all due respect, Jesse, there's you doing the podcast, every podcast, every um, Twitter handle, all of SiriusXM, it's all men. Like, I think that there's some women fans. Where are they that are doing any of the coverage, you know? So luckily, about half my guests are female. So that's something. And I will, you have a full-time job. You have multiple full-time jobs, but I will tell you right now, Michelle, anytime you want to to interview someone, I will put it up. I will edit it. You can be the guest host of Set Lusting Bruce it's anytime. A, it's a curiosity. No, it it's is. A curiosity. If you listen to, you know, the, the Bruce channel, yeah. uh, it's all men. And I, yeah. you know, it's like, I got to wonder, there are some Bruce chicks out there too. Oh, and, absolutely. And, yeah. And so, um, but the, the songs, getting back to your question, Jesse, you know, I want to hear those kind of obscure ones like a uh, fire and, um, well, fever, you never hear anymore. But yeah. fire uh, going down. I like the uh, downbound train going down. I mean, they're, they're, they're not popular songs, right, but I right. really love them. And my favorite song, I think, that, you know, instantly was maybe um, have tears was back in the 80s. And it was during the run at the Coliseum. He would close the show. Um, that was when Julianne Phillips was on the scene and she would come out um, with um, I Can't Help Falling in Love, uh, the Elvis song. Yes. And oh my God, um, that was something to hear him say that, uh, sing that. So, you know, I I don't know that it would be appropriate in his life to sing that anymore, um, given that he sang it for a whole different love. Um, but um, that was really incredible. So, um, you know, those are, those are the songs that I'd like it, you know, I'll take anything. Sure, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Well, I do stand by anytime you want to uh, interview someone um, and you, you let me know and I will set it up and we'll have you take lead. I would absolutely love that. I agree. There should be more um, female voices. And that's why I'm always um, thrilled when I get um, I get a youngster, someone young. A couple of my two of my favorite uh, guests are um, uh, they're both like 19 and um, they are just passionate about Bruce. In fact, both of them, I, I had them on back to back seeing Bruce this past summer on Broadway was both of their first shows. Wow. They had never seen Bruce perform and um, they just, they, they had the chance and they just had loved his music and they had never seen him. And so they, um, they both. It's so fun turning somebody on to Bruce. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So both Laurel and Rachel are both like under, you know, under 22 and they're, uh, and it's just wonderful hearing them and their joy. Um, so I, I have to, first off, you're welcome anytime. You got the itch to talk more, Bruce, tell the story. You just shoot me an email. Hey, Jesse, book me off some more time. 
before I let you go, though, I've got to ask you a Mary question. So, by the way, um, uh, nope, it's long gone. I'll have to edit that out. Um, there was something you told me and I wanted to tell, but I can't think of it now. Anyway, uh, if you are a friend of Michelle's and you're listening to this, first off, thank you so much for checking out. She has made you proud. You should be very um, happy with how great she's been on the podcast and I hope you check it out other episodes, but I end every episode with the Mary question. Jay Armstrong, who is a retired English teacher. He's from the Philadelphia area. Um, he just put out a book about um, parenthood and his illness, uh, Bedtime Stories for Adults uh, by Jay Armstrong. But he would, in his honors English class, he would spend two days breaking apart Thunder Road. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would treat it like a poem. They would treat it as a um you know what were the themes bruce was exploring they'd compare it to robert frost the road not taken and at the end of the two days jay would ask the question does mary get in the car so michelle that is your question does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road of course she does okay of course she does who would turn that gentleman down and um yeah I mean, that's the dream. That's the, the fantasy. And that's the hope is to climb into the car. Wonderful. Yeah. By the way, I just remember what I wanted to tell you. You were talking about how many times he says backstreet. Betsy Hodges, who was mentioning, is now living in New York. And I mean, in D.C., she was the mayor of Minneapolis and is, is a very active in social justice. She said that when she goes to heaven, you can ask, you know, the Supreme being anything. Her first question is, how many times did I listen to Thunder Road? <laughs> like, do you have a counter up here that you could just tell me how many times I did listen to that one song? Uh, I said, yep, I think that would be a good question for all of us. Um, any final thoughts or any final uh, things you want to share? Well, I just, um, you know, can go on and on just as you can, Jesse, about um, Bruce and our our experiences and how our lives are entwined with um, his music. But I do want to say that I had a lovely experience. I went um, backstage for um, Little Stevens uh, Rock and Roll Foundation um, at Nationals. So this was for my birthday like four years ago, I think. Um, Bruce was there, maybe it was 20. 18, I can't remember, uh, but um, uh, I took one of my um, staff people from work who was a New Jersey girl who had never seen Bruce. And I was like, what? Yeah, gotta come with me. Yes. So we went to nationals and um, we got some really nice seats because we donated to the Rock and Roll Foundation and we went backstage to meet um, little Steven. And um, when I went up to little Steven, I said, first time I saw you, Stevie, was 43 years ago. And he looked at me and kind of paused and he said, we look pretty fucking good, don't we? (laughs) I love that. And I went, you're right. We look pretty fucking good. You know, so it was really funny because I didn't know how he would respond. But um, but it was just it was great. And so um, 
you know, it's a long time that we can be fans, but you know, we're, we're still doing it pretty good. So, yeah. And and I think we're blessed that, you know, I'm sure you saw uh, on social media, the clips of him playing just a couple of nights ago for the Steve Earl Foundation. Yeah. It's fabulous. Yeah. With Roseanne Cash, by the way. Yes, indeed. Steve Earl and other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, that that's, in fact, I was disappointed is on like on a scale one to 100 i was at 99 that's how little i was disappointed but i went to a nashville show you know a few years ago and i just knew someone would join him on the encore i mean i was hoping for like roseanne cash or or just anyone like it's in nashville right right and no one did and i was just just slightly disappointed because i thought it would have been cool because my very first show was in 2002 here in dallas at the rising and uh Don Henley lived in Dallas. I think he still does. He joined Bruce for I Fought the Law as an encore. So it was so cool to hear, you know, for Don and him to be out there. So I was like, oh, we're going to get somebody cool in Nashville. Maybe it'll be Roseanne Cash. How cool. And they could do maybe one of her dad's songs. Oh, that'd be great. But didn't work out. Thank you, Michelle. This was so wonderful. I I had a blast. if someone wants to reach you, uh, what's the best way? Um, you know, you can look up the city of Port Townsend, Washington, which is a fabulous city. And all of my information is there as mayor. Um, Spell the city? Uh, Port, P-O-R-T, Townsend, T-O-W-N-S-E-N-D. Okay. Uh, Port Townsend. And, um, um, or you can... Um, I'm uh, own a real estate office, so if you look up real estate in Port Townsend, you'll still find me. I'm pretty unavoidable. <laughs> Very nice. Um, thank you so much, Jesse. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. <laughs> Listeners, you go get vaccinated. Go get your booster shot. Let us wear your masks. Remember to social distance. Let's be good to each other because that's the only way we're getting through this. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, listeners. We will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store, where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page, where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. 
You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Fed Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.